Welcome back, everyone. It's episode 47 of Murphy's Law. This is Charles Murphy hanging out as always with Charles Villanueva. We are in week 682 of the lockdown <laughs> in Michigan. Uh, I've completely lost track of time and space, and I don't even know where I am or what I'm doing. Charles, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Um, speaking of losing time, uh, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be our fucking one year anniversary, even though we are a couple of episode short for it to be technically the actual anniversary but may 1st um may 1st last year we fucking recorded this episode the very first one and man how time flew by i didn't didn't even fucking realize it until this week i think if um if charles and i are are looking at it correctly we would have like exactly 365 days ago today as of the day of our recording we would have recorded episode one after we had uh, both gotten a chance to see Avengers Endgame. I know it. I had already seen it twice at that point. Uh, I think you had too, right? Yeah, yeah. Twice or so. maybe thrice. Definitely. Ooh, yeah. I know. Because you went, you went what would have been like Wednesday night here for me. You were already there. That's correct. And that's um, and we'll talk about that more uh, at the end of the show. We'll kind of get get a look back at that little retrospective on Avengers Endgame, um, which is kind of cool because even though we're recording tonight and uh, or today and we won't air this until May 1st, today the day we're recording is the day that the uh, Russos are joining comicbook.com for a quarantine watch party of Avengers Endgame. So that's going to be, uh, that'll be interesting to see how that goes tonight. Yeah, so other than that we really don't have much to talk about last week was a pretty fucking huge episode so this one we're taking a step back and just you know just fucking hanging out and uh taking a break from all the crazy topics but um we want to talk about uh the big i guess the biggest news here the shifting of dates once more from this from this never-ending fucking coronavirus pandemic we now have a couple of new dates and uh, do you want to get into this so we're at this point, we're at like the second round of, of films moving. And this one is because they're not going to be able to meet the pre-established production timelines. So you're, you're looking at now, uh, Spider-Man was, was the first domino here, really. So they realized, even though a few weeks ago there were, there were a lot of stories about them being on track to film in July, they realized that wasn't going to happen. So they moved Spider-Man to that November... 2021 date um and that started the cascade of of moves right so then dr strange was no longer going to be in november of 2021 and instead of shuffling everything else around after dr strange they just created a a new release date for dr strange um in march so so they have like you know you're going to see spider-man in november of 2021 thor in february of 2022 uh, Doctor Strange in March of 2022, Black Panther in May of 2022, and Captain Marvel 2 in in uh, July of 2022, which is just a crazy schedule. Yeah, I mean, for me, my biggest takeaway here is that Thor is coming now before Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange will be, I guess, the combination of Phase 4 as we know it. I find that to be fucking exciting. I mean, we've known for the longest time that you know, crazy things are going to happen in this movie, but, you know, Thor was always going to come after it. So, I don't know. I, I'm curious if there's going to be a shift in story as well now that, you know, these days are getting reshuffled. But, yeah, man, 2022, we're going to get so many MCU films. 
within a short span of time. It makes me sort of, I, I guess this is, this, this is the, I mean, I hate to say it, it's kind of like the silver lining and all, with all these properties getting delayed. At least we're going to get them in, in a very short span of time, at least in 2022. Yeah, there's definitely like, we're we're at a, it's a give and take situation, right? And we're, as fans, we're at, we're in the loss of it right now. We're losing uh, it's it seems more and more unlikely that Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to air in, in August, much less 2020 at all. So we keep feeling like we're losing things now. And you come out on the other side of this, it's all going to make up for it there. But it's just it's hard because that's that's still a long way away. And I think we don't want to don't want to jump the gun. Like Shang Chi is still tentatively scheduled to come out next year, right? Like in May of um, 2021. It was originally February of 2021. Now it's May of 2021. They haven't restarted production yet. They still have, they have to have at least 75 or 80% left of the film to shoot. Uh, there's no guarantee that that one's going to make its May date either, right? So we, we're not, certainly not done seeing these dates move um, just because we've had a second round of movement. I, I would say like, if you're, if you're etching these things in stone somewhere, I, w- I would take a break. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like you said, fucking the Winter Soldier, they're not done. I mean, God knows how many fucking, how many of, of these films aren't necessarily done filming. So, yeah, it's, it's like, at this point, I feel like every three weeks or so, we're going we're gonna to talk about a new shift with these yeah. releases. Because it's so, it's so, it's so nebulous, it's so erratic, it's, it's nearly impossible to, to pin down. And I'm pretty sure Disney and Kevin Feige are very wary of this and how they could sort of, you know, keep this whole thing together as, the, as we progress through this pandemic. And, and one of the things that's I think is, I'm, I realized the other day, um, this has probably pushed the announcement of any new films even further down the line, right? Because we now have four films in the, in the first seven months of 2022. They had, Marvel Studios had an October 7th, 2022 date that they had left untitled. Well, Sony put their Into the Spider-Verse 2 film there. Um, and you know that they had a conversation with Marvel about it because when they put Spider-Man on November, in the November date, they moved Doctor Strange. So you know that they collaborated here. So the assumption has to be that Marvel Studios is no longer owning or occupying that, um, that October date which means we now know all the films through 2022, which means they don't have to be in a big hurry to tell us what's coming in 2023 and 24 and 25. Like they've got, we already know the plans two years out now. There's nothing else out there. So we are, uh, we're also probably a little bit far away from, from hearing any good news about a 2023 film at this point. I find it interesting that this might be the only Spider-Man movie to come out, not in May or around that period. Because I remember the, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie came out around summer, like June, July, something like that. And obviously all the all the Raimi stuff came out in May. And obviously the the the, the MCU Spider-Man ones are in July. So it's pretty surreal to see it so close to the, the tail end of the year. So I wonder, you know, how you know, you know how we always like, you know, how we Sort of like our movies have sort of themes. Maybe they could do a Spider-Man fucking Christmas movie, or maybe a <laughs> Spider-Man Halloween movie. I mean, I just like the I just like how it's sort of the the standout in all these Spider-Man of these days. Yeah, it's definitely is strange to get it out of that 
summer blockbuster range where it's always been. But I think the the thing with any Marvel Studios film, and I've argued this on Twitter before when people say, oh, there's no way that that movie's coming out in February. Uh, they just, you know, they, they don't care anymore. They know that they'll make their money no matter what month they put the movie, right? They're, they're not they're not holding on to these old um, pigeonholed ideas about you can only make money on your movies in May through July and then uh, in December. Like, they know when to make their money. They, or they know they're going to make their money whenever they put the movies out. Anyway, moving on to the next topic. Uh, a friend of a show's, Miss Lizzie Hill, wrote something on your site. She had a pretty... I thought it was a very interesting idea about how Wakandans could show up in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Can you sort of, you know, walk us through that? Yeah, so she spent uh, quite a bit of time putting that one together, um, just kind of picking through Instagram and, and, and social media posts by people who have been stunt women for different members of the Black Panther cast. Um, and so in, in doing so, she kind of noticed that some of them had been around Atlanta and in uh, Prague during filming for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And it's not to say that they couldn't be doubling for somebody else or stunt acting as a stunt actor for somebody else. Um, but the coincidences are there, and that's why we, uh, we put it out as a connecting the imaginary dots piece. Um, the coincidences are there that kind of that could indicate that we might see the Dora in, uh, in Black Panther or from Black Panther uh, show up in Falcon and the Winter Soldier as a response to Zemo getting loose, given that Zemo killed their, their king and uh, is definitely an enemy of the people there. Well, I find it very interesting because of how, you know, it's, it's a nice touch of world building. It's a nice, you know, it's a nice aspect of continuity. It's very consistent with what we know, with how Wakanda perceives, you know, someone like Zemo, like, like you said, he's a fucking, he's the reason T'Challa's king now. And now that he's out, yeah, maybe T'Challa sends a few of his people out to make sure Zemo doesn't cause another fucking death of a fucking royal family member or something. It's very interesting, and I'd be more surprised if it's for something totally different. Yeah, and if you think about, if you've read enough Marvel comics, and you don't think that something like this would show up in a comic book, you're crazy. This is exactly the kind of thing that would happen. Now, in a comic book, it might only be six panels or a few pages. They, these guys may not have huge roles, right? They may just be in there to, um, but to, to be a piece of connectivity, to be the connective tissue of the whole universe, and that's great. Uh, and that's that's what you're going to see more and more of, I think, as you go through these shows and these films, is people popping in, and maybe they don't have huge roles, but they're there so that you can are continuing to remember the the big story. This is this is going to be, a, you know. If, continuing on from 2008 even though that we we ended the first chapter with the infinity saga this is still one big ongoing story that has uh pieces that were put in motion already and we'll continue to stay that way so i think it, it makes a ton of sense and i think it's um it's a lot of hard work to put one of those things together you got to do a lot of digging and she did a good job finding that stuff also it is worth no- noting that i think at this point bucky is in many ways sort of an envoy for wakanda Oh, T'Challa yeah. seems very fond of him. I mean, the fucking arm is from Wakanda, and T'Challa even called, refers to him as a white wolf, who in the comics we know is a very important character in Wakanda. I wonder if maybe they're working with Bucky and not just T'Challa. Maybe Bucky is their sort of point person in, in the outside world now, now that, you know, he gets called white wolf. I'm, I, it's a very interesting thing to think about how Bucky's relationship with Wakanda is now that everything is over. Now that he has the arm, he's sort of trying to be his own man. What is his connection to Wakanda at this point? 
Well, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. And it, it makes a ton of sense that um, Bucky doesn't really have anywhere else to go. So for all we know, Bucky is continuing to live in Wakanda. So maybe we see Wakanda early on and we see that Bucky has, we find out when Bucky gets broken out uh, or sorry, when Zemo gets broken out that it's Wakanda that sends Bucky out to get him with, with a few of the Dora perhaps. Cause we know that he and Sam aren't a team right from the get go. We know that Sam is with his family um, spending some time with them. So maybe that's the, uh, maybe that's the jumping off point there. Maybe Bucky is sent by from Wakanda by T'Challa to go track down Zemo. Uh, moving on to the next one, the Illuminati dropped something, a pretty interesting bit of casting for Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, the film is basically going to introduce a new lead character, a new supporting lead character by the name of Zappa. And the production is looking to cast someone in their teens, preferably Black, British, or African American. And um, what do you think about this? sort of idea because I mean I brought it up too when you mentioned it that I think this character might be connected to Heimdall be it sort of a uh, a reborn reincarnated version of Heimdall or maybe a relative that we never got to meet um, but you, who do you think Zappa is in this Thor Love and Thunder casting call I like the idea of um, of it being a reincarnated Heimdall that went wrong and if you think about like Taika's sensibilities and his humor um, in, in the comics after Ragnarok, Heimdall was the first guy that Thor resurrected. And so now you can say like, all right, Thor's going to resurrect Heimdall. But instead of bringing back the grown up version of Heimdall, he, he puts himself, saddles himself with like a young kid that he has to raise and, 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 and has to watch grow into Heimdall. Right. So Heimdall's his best friend. He would, he would want him back. And, you know, Taika loves using kids in his films for humor, right? Like look at, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People and look at Jojo Rabbit. So I feel like this character is going to be a funny character, and I wouldn't, I would not be surprised if it's like they do some create some resurrection of Heimdall, but he turns out to be a kid, and then he's just a pain in Thor's ass the entire time. I mean, that scene sort of reminds me of the the time travel testing with uh, Scott Lang and yeah, where he turns up as a baby, and then like he was like, "What the fuck?" and Thor's like, "Oh, he'll grow." <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like oh my god we have to fucking deal with this, but yeah I, I I'm I'm so leaning towards the idea that this might this could be Heimdall's kid. I mean, as far as we know, I mean Heimdall's not like a fucking Jedi who's celibate and doesn't get laid. I mean he's a he's a normal as guardian dude who whose 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 life we don't really know much of, and it's not outside the realm of possibility that he has a kid living out there somewhere maybe in new asgard maybe maybe he he inherits heimdall's powers and maybe he gets to control the the bifrost at this point um and maybe maybe that's the macguffin for the whole story maybe maybe that's that's the right. macguffin for thor's journey is he's going to go pick up heimdall's kid from someplace wherever he is and it sort of makes sense with given thor's relationship with heimdall i mean thor refers to heimdall in infinity war as his best friend and, you know, Heimdall's last moments on this universe was basically, I mean, he is the MVP of Infinity War. If he didn't send Hulk to warn Doctor Strange and Iron Man, who knows how the first stage of the, the Black Order invasion would have, would have turned out. I mean, if Heimdall fucking is, is, is a very, he played a very important part in Infinity War. And I hope that if, this kid is sort of a connection, uh, a character related to Heimdall. I hope they sort of address 
Haim Das importance in saving the universe and, and his his how he basically helped defeat Thanos. I mean, that would be a nice legacy to continue with this new kid. Yeah, I think it's I think it's um the idea that they're they're looking for someone with the British accent it is uh it makes it really easy to tie it to Heimdall or to Asgard at least, right? And um yeah, I think you're right. I think it would make for a a, a nice way to continue his legacy down the line. I'm, and I'm not sure, you know, people are trying to make a lot, a lot out of the name and there's nothing there. So I'm not sure, you know, I can think about all the comics you want. Like what's here's, here's your question. Like who's a kid that's really important in Marvel comics. I mean, come on, there's so many. So it's, it's hard to, uh, to kind of put it together, but I think, I think some connection to Heimdall there would make it, would make it a really strong character and would make him probably really important to Thor as well. Right. Like he would, he would want to take care of him. He would want to make sure that he was safe. And speaking of, I mean, the name Zappa, I mean, anyone could probably tell that. It's, it's clearly a nod to Frank Zappa. I mean, if anything, I mentioned this um, when I wrote it, that it could be just sort of the continuing trend of Taika tying the movie to maybe more music. I mean, if, if, if the name is, is any indication of what sort of vision Taika is, Taking this fourth Thor film into it, then it Zappa, it's just gonna be fucking crazy because Frank Zappa is a fucking insane, far out musician whose whose music, I, like I, I I can't imagine a lot of people getting into Frank Zappa. It's not the same way people got into the Immigrant Song from Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Frank Zappa stuff is way harder to get into, and it's fucking crazier. It's more colorful. It's weirder. So just hearing this be it as a placeholder, maybe a potential actual name for the character, it's sort of an indication that, yeah, Pike is going to go batshit crazy with this movie. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of people, by the time this has been out, a lot of people will have figured this out, but um, Zappa was was good friends with Jack Kirby. Um, they, oh. Marvel Comics, Marvel, Marvel Comics, they were actually, I think, neighbors. Marvel Comics published Frank Zappa ads at one point, um, and, and Frank Zappa had a huge Marvel Comics collection um, that went up for auction a few years back, quite a few years back. Um, and he was, I mean, really, he was a big Daredevil fan. Um, if you look at the collection, he had a huge amount of Daredevil. But he had a, he had a fair number of Thor comics in there. Um, and it seems like, because I found it online and went through which ones he had, he was big on collecting, uh, like in the the, ep- the issues were like between like 130 and 150. So it was like... Uh, the high evolutionary stories, the Adam Warlock stories, um, those stories, which are interesting in in itself, like what what we could turn out to see here. But yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a connection between Frank Zappa, Zappa and Marvel Comics. I mean, just fucking knowing that Frank Zappa is is a Marvel guy makes me so happy. Makes me, in many ways, a bit connected to him more. I've tried listening to his stuff. I, 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 as, as a musician myself, as a drummer, I adore the, the roster of musicians he got to play on his albums. Even though his music is so fucking far out there, I even I can't fully grasp it. But yeah, hearing that he's the Marvel fan and the fucking Daredevil fan sort of makes me love the guy even more. But anyway, moving on to the next one. Um, bit of sad news for a few, a couple of uh, Marvel TV personnel as. Disney terminated a couple of their showrunning contracts. Um, the guy, I forgot the name, the guy who was supposed to do Hellstrom and the guy who did Punisher basically had their contracts ended. Um, Hellstrom hasn't even been out yet and the guy is already out of a job. 
it's very unfortunate, but for being real, Hellstrom is was a very questionable show to begin with. I find it very ironic that out of all the the TV shows, the Marvel TV Disney Plus shows in production, Hellstrom is the one that actually fucking made it to the finish line. And I'm not excited for it. I I don't know anyone who's excited for it. Um, I'm surprised they went through with it after canceling all those uh, Hulu shows, Ghost Rider and whatnot. So it is a bit of a weird sort of... The show is in a weird position now that they don't have a showrunner technically. And with the with the Stephen Lightfoot stuff, the guy who did The Punisher, I'm frankly surprised that his contract wasn't terminated when The Punisher was canceled. I was under the impression that when Netflix canceled the show that basically renders everyone on that contract jobless, I don't know how how Hollywood contracts go, but that, that was my assumption for the most part. So that part went crazy. was was very surprising to me. But yeah, it's unfortunate. A lot of people are losing their jobs. Your quick thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I don't I don't see any of it as as a surprise, and, and I think a lot of it just has to do with the the back log of of projects right like nothing's getting done um they had these guys on on contracts they're like hey over this many years you can write stuff for us and now the awareness is like well there's nothing for you to write because we're screwed so see ya um as far as hellstrom goes like i haven't been excited about it but to be honest with you if they if they told me like it's coming out next week i'd watch it because i don't have anything else to do with my life um but it, it's hellstrom's been such a weird show like it was it was it survived all the other cuts that they made. And then there were, there were plans at one point for a season two. And I know that I think it was a while ago, a report came out that said like it was done after season one, but at at one point there was absolutely plans for them to do a season two. And and so, which I never expected at all. Like I I expected to be one and done right from the get go. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting how to, how that whole thing went on. But like I said, it's, it's one show that they have. Yeah. It finished filming. They could, you know, be working on it remotely right now and getting it ready for us to watch because there's not a whole lot else to watch. Yeah, I guess I'm with you. If if it came out next week, I'd probably check it out just to see how it looks like. I mean, it's a Marvel fucking TV joint, and there's not much going on for it. There's, there's no there's no publicity or or whatever. We we didn't even hear. Who who was playing Hellstrom until like like a month into filming? So there's, there was barely any movement for it, any sort of anticipation for it. So yeah, it is so fucking weird that 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 was the show that made it through the finish line when all the shows we want to see, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, haven't even been fucking wrapped filming. So I guess that's the irony of it all. I guess that's Jeff Loeb's last laugh. That hey, fuck you, Kevin. My I got to finish my show. You, your your show might done. not. Yeah, I got my shit done. Your your show might not even fucking premiere this year, so fuck you. So, so I mean, I guess that does it for this week's this week's part of a, a news we got. We didn't get much, so you wanna get into sort of a a revisiting of Endgame. Yeah, I, and I, it's pretty fresh for me because I just watched it again. Uh, I think it was last. Friday morning, I think we sat down and watched it. So it, it's still pretty fresh in my head. I actually haven't seen the movie in its entirety since last year. Because it's fucking three hours. I mean, uh, I can only do yeah. so much in a day if I sit, sat down and just watch fucking Endgame 
for the 15th time. <laughs> I mean, it's like fucking, I, I don't have the time for it. But every now and then, it's, it's, it's definitely a movie I like revisiting in chunks. Like, sometimes I'm not doing anything and uh, just think, oh, I want to see that, that, that Avengers time heist in 2012. But, uh, moments like that, it's very, um, how do you say this? It's very, it's very good in bite-sized chunks for me. Mm-hmm. It's a movie that, like I said, I'm not gonna, probably not gonna sit down and watch it for the entire run. But man, that ending, I always watch that ending. I watch the, the last fight. And looking back, mm, as a movie, it's sort of, I still have the same feelings I had when I first watched it. Um, it's definitely not a better movie than Infinity War, but it's more of a, it's definitely a better experience. And that experience, I guess, is priceless. But a, a part of me wishes that it was a better movie than Infinity War, structurally and I guess narratively. Um, I don't know. If you, I don't know if you feel the same way about it. No, I think I think Infinity War is is the better film um, overall. I, I think there are so many. I think what like what Endgame is is like a nonstop highlight reel, right? Like that's really what it is. Um, and even in, in places where the film might not flow as smoothly as Infinity War did. It's just you're, it's just such a such a like nonstop adrenaline rush, and it. I mean, you said it's a three hour movie, and there are very few points where you're down in the dumps, right? It's, you're either laughing or something crazy is going on, or something sad is going on with Thor. Like you feel like all, all those kind of things. There are, there are very few dull moments in it. Um, no, but I, I mean, I looked and then looking back at it, um, I don't think a lot of it has changed for me. I still realize like how far Chris Evans has come as, as Steve Rogers. And I know that, I know that even though I haven't listened to episode one of our or episode two of our podcast from last year, I know that I talked about that last year with him, like how, how the performance that he gave in this shows just how far he's come from, from the, as an actor and as a character in, in the movies of the MCU films since the first Avenger, which was a long time ago. And, and just the idea that they took him on this crazy arc, um, that kind of put him in a juxtaposition to who he was supposed to be, like the soldier following orders. It, it was really interesting. Um, and I, and I, I guess this time when I was watching it, my mind was on the future now that we know so much more about it. Um, and as I'm watching the ending, I, I realized like, yeah, they show all the characters there at the funeral, at Tony's funeral, but they, they really do like, they spend time on Wanda and Hawkeye. Because you know that they, you know, we now know that they have a show. They spend time on Sam and Bucky, and we now know that they have a show. They spend time on Thor. We know he's got a movie coming up, right? And and, and the only real thing that they missed there was spending any additional time with uh, with Doctor Strange. But they, they were really clearly showing at the end of that film, like, some setting up some of those threads that they're going to be moving forward with. Now that I'm sort of remembering the first episode, we talked a lot about Thanos and not much about yeah. the actual cast. So I guess we can sort of, I guess in many ways, this is our part two of episode one. Um, one year later. Um, yeah, you're, you're so on point with the, the Chris Evans stuff. I remember being just so fucking confused when they got, when they announced him for Captain America. I was like, really? He, he's already a superhero. I mean, why do you want to fucking double dip on fucking Marvel? He, he was Human Torch. He was he was kick ass as Human Torch, and he's in no way in 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 good form for Steve Rogers. And you know, Endgame sort of proves us wrong. I mean, I think but after the first 
Captain America movie, we we were already proven wrong. But Endgame, man, he 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 really puts on a good performance in Endgame. His scene with Black Widow when when Steve visits Natasha after his uh his uh AA meeting, the, mm-hmm. just the moment they share, the silence they share, the glances they give at each other. There's not much said there, but you can feel sort of their friendship just the way they convey their emotions by not talking. Just being there for each other says so much about their their talent as actors and as characters. Obviously, how 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 these characters are so tight to each other. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of other good performances in the movie. I mean, obviously, Chris Emsworth, he might be the MVP of the movie in terms of having an arc. He's he has the arc that no one ever expects Thor to have. I mean he, he's a fucking he, he gets fat and he's depressed and he he can't get over his depression, his hurdle against Thanos, his 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 mind is preventing him from from being the man he wants to be, but he just fucking can't because he's depressed. And yeah, it's such a Hemsworth and Evans really give a good performance there. And also, I guess Downey at this point. I guess the only person that doesn't really get to flex is maybe... I guess maybe... I mean, obviously, Captain Marvel doesn't get to do much, so she's, she sort of gets shafted there in terms of the how much she can do, but Ruffalo gives a good performance. I mean, Jeremy Renner does a great job in the short amount of time he's given in. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, the original six Avengers... Definitely gave their best, probably the best of all their of all their appearances. Yeah, and and when you look at the, if you go back and think about the scene on Vormir with with Renner and and Scarlett Johansson, um, and you do like even even from when they take off in the ship and head toward Vormir, it's yeah. it is when you rewatch it and you know what's coming and you and you kind of have seen the whole the beginning in the middle and you know you're about to get the end it's a sweet scene and they're sharing like a really a really important friendship to them and they're both really struggling through through the the choice that they know that they have to make and they're both willing to have to make it which is also a pretty powerful thing but that that scene is a little bit different um to me now watching it for the i don't know how many how many at the time just knowing like um now that now that Clint is going to move forward and, and go back with his family, what is what burden is he going to carry with him? What is he going to have to do um, to make up for that chance that he's now been given? Right, like you know that that's part of that character is he's going to want, he's going to feel like he has to do something now to to make up for that life that he's been given back. Now that you're mentioning it, I'm just I just got fucking chills thinking about it. Their first scene together in Avengers, the first one is essentially the one where where um, Hawkeye wakes up from, from the Loki brainwashing. And the scene they have there is where they, I guess, talk about the stuff they've been through and the, the stuff they're now facing. Um, Hawkeye says something, or I think it was Black Widow, says something that we're fucking agents. We were never trained to go up against gods and magic and alien stuff. Now we're here. And you jump yeah. to where... You jump to their last scenes together in 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 Endgame, like you said, in the in the ride to Vormir. There's a scene there where it it sort of breaks your heart knowing that it's probably their last moments of bond bonding together. 
when they're smiling giddily, they're flying to Vormir. They're, it's like they're a bunch of kids on, on a field trip going to space. They're they're excited on 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 what's waiting for them on the other end. And obviously, the other end is someone, one of them dying. But just seeing the mom the the moments they spend together, you know, when they drop um, Nebula and Rhodey off in um, Morag, and you know, it's it's just like dropping a friend off of a off from to his office. Like, I'll see you later. Don't fucking screw up. And they they part ways, and just the friendship they have there is so emblematic of all the stuff they've been through. And God, I gotta I gotta fucking. Now that I'm talking about it, I gotta do a video of of their first scene together in, in, in the first Avengers film and their last scene together in, in Vormir. A little well, a little uh, Hawkeye Widow supercut coming? Probably. I, I mean, <laughs> you gotta have it. Even just like a, a one-minute video showing how far these two characters have come. Yeah, that's good. And that would be, you better be careful because you'll get in a rabbit hole there and you'll start wanting to do one for everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um no i i i liked it i still um i love the handoff um to downey to to let him be the one that that brings this whole thing to you know back around from his um from iron man the very the very first iron man film and letting him be the the one who saves the day with that and then spitting out that line which you know, as soon as as soon as in, in the theaters, the first time I saw it, as soon as I heard Thanos say, I am inevitable again. And we knew that, like, that wasn't going to be the end. Right. I knew that that was what that line was going to be. And it gave me chills knowing that before he even said it, that that was what he was going to say. And I love that. I love that callback. I love the callback to him and Cap fighting on the aircraft carrier on the helicarrier in, uh, in Avengers where Cap said he'd never set, make the sacrifice play. I love all those things. There were so many callbacks in in this movie to things that as a person who'd been who'd watched every movie so many times over those years they it, it meant a lot to see those again right like i recognize them and i love that they brought them back and the, and to be honest with you i don't think the russos waste a single one of them i think they nailed every single one of them looking back is there a scene that not hate but sort of you're still not a fan of or rather I guess a character choice that yeah, I kind of wish they went here instead of that. Do you have uh, do you have sort of a an opinion like that? The beginning, like him when Tony's on the ship with Nebula, that's a little boring to me. Um, hey. and, and like with Carol just miraculously finding him out in the middle of space and bringing him back, um, that's a little forced to me. But I I overlook and forgive that because honestly, that's about the worst part of the whole movie for me. Yeah, I kind of wish. That... As I say, after that, it's just like, I, I there's not another point in the movie where my emotions aren't one way or the other, in, including when they go and fail against Thanos when they realize they failed. Like that hits so hard still after how many times I've watched it. So yeah, I think it's just that beginning scene is the only thing that I kind of, and not not the whole scene, because I, I realize like that that scene with Tony talking to Pepper and him kind of laying down and dying but there there are a little bit little bits and pieces of that scene that really dragged for me yeah i kind of wish the opening scene is i kind of wish they tied it more to the captain marvel post-credit scene because yeah. she shows up on on uh, in the avengers tower cap still has a beard they're sort of figuring out what the fuck happened that's the captain marvel post-credit scene then we jump we just jump way 
way further into the story where Carol just saves him. I kind of wish they showed how they tracked the the whatever that ship is called. I, I kind of wish they showed how they got there, but again, it's a it's a, tr- it's a three hour movie. It's hard. It's gonna be hard to fucking fit an extra three minutes of them just sort of using the computer. Yeah, there had to be. I, I think I couldn't even tell you how many how many scenes I had to cut just to fit it at three hours. So I want to ask you, like, I guess before we end, um, what was your theater experience like? Like the actual experience of watching Endgame was your uh, was your did your theater go crazy? Did they did they cheer? Did they cry? Or was it like dead silent? It was, it was pretty empty because it was Thursday. The first the first showing we saw was like Thursday at like eight or something like that. Um, so it wasn't even full. It was probably it was probably half full. Um, and and to be honest with you, the <laughs> the year before I had seen. I was at the world premiere of Infinity War. So I was like the first person not at Marvel Studios to see that movie, right? Like when I was in, in LA and I'm yeah. in that huge theater with all this, all these like celebrities and fans and that theater experience will, is like the one that'll last with me forever. There'll, there'll be no comparison to it at all. Like every time something happened, it got so loud in the theater that you missed the next 30 seconds worth of dialogue. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, it was, you know, like every little thing moved, uh, moved the needle so much for the audience in that, in that infinity war premiere. So my, my the, my theater experience for the end game premiere was, you know, pretty much a downer. And I would have loved to have had that same experience to have been sitting in LA with that same group of people and, and seen it like when cat picked up the hammer for the first time, I couldn't even imagine what that would have been like in that same crowd. And I think in the crowd that we were in, I think me and my daughters were the only ones that made any noise at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Holy shit, man. When I watched Endgame, it was a very fucking... It was a packed theater. It was on a Wednesday. I'm not sure if it, if it was a Wednesday or a Thursday, but between that, it was after lunch. It was a 2 p.m. 2 p.m. screening. It was fucking packed. I was, like, wondering... Jesus, don't you guys have to fucking work? Why, why is everyone here? It was so packed, and every every big moment was was greeted with cheers. When Cap lifts the hammer, when everyone fucking shows up in the portals, I was I was ugly crying. I've never ugly cried in a movie maybe since Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. When when everyone bows to the hobbits, I've never fucking cried ugly cried in a movie. Since that, so and I was also ugly clapping. You know how usually when you clap, it's usually like you know, like when when grown men clap, it's like very finesse. It's very very suave how we clap. Once once everyone started showing up in the portals, I was ugly clapping. Like (laughs) if a first discovered how to clap, it was so like (laughs) great analogy. Like like I didn't even fucking I, I couldn't I couldn't. I couldn't get a grip on of how I was reacting, and I I had two friends with me. They were super sport sports about it. They weren't like giving me shit for like ugly crying. I think they were probably crying as well. But man, <laughs> that experience, that end game experience is like I said earlier. It's a such a priceless experience. Like I'm sure your your Infinity War experience is priceless. No shitty movie can no shitty plot Infinity War plot hole can 
can ruin that. It's the same with me as much as I sort of dislike some of the parts of, not dislike, sort of as much as I f- feel nitpicky about the parts in Endgame. That experience for me makes the, the whole movie for me. Yeah, and you know, the the one the one thing that stands out to me from that Infinity War um, experience in the theater, when Thor shows up in Wakanda um, with Stormbreaker and starts, you know, throws the axe and then Hulk and Banner says what he says. I, I couldn't even tell you after the first time I saw that what happened for the next 30 seconds. I went nuts. The entire, the entire theater went nuts and you're talking like a five story theater, right? This isn't like, this isn't like 200 people. There were thousands of people in this place and it was a roar, like deafening, deafening roar. And, uh, I'll never ever forget that that one scene, and even to this day when I watch it, like it still gets me all fired up. And I think part of it is just that relationship in my head to that experience, which was so cool. So yeah, I I uh, I love that scene at the end. You're talking about it in game when they all come through, and I still every time I see it, every time I see Cap give the first time we've ever heard Avengers Assemble, I lose it. I still love it. Yeah, I mean, I talked about it in in, in the MCU Exchange podcast. My favorite. Cap moment in that entire movie is not him lifting the hammer. It's him strapping on his fucking shitty broken hammer, facing off Thanos and his and his thousand armies, and he's he's just willing to die. That's my favorite Cap moment. Um, now that you're mentioning sort of the the roar of people when when Thor shows up in Wakanda, I'm trying to imagine what these actors feel like when it happens on screen for the first time. They're watching it. I mean, obviously, they've seen it coming, reading the script. They know, Chris Hemsworth knows Thor is going to show up in Infinity War with, with Groot and Rocket. He has a new axe. During, during the tide of the battle, when everyone's about to lose, did you see Chris Hemsworth, or maybe at least, did someone tell you how he reacted? Did he cheer? Did you ever get to hear something like that? How, he, how Hemsworth reacted in the theater? Yes. I don't I don't think so. And I don't know, like the way they did that, they were split up. So they all came out and introduced themselves and then they all got split up. So we like who sat in our theater with us, we had Downey and uh, Scarlett Johansson. I'm pretty sure sat in our theater with us way down in the front and maybe Ruffalo. And then they put like uh, Pratt and Evans and Hemsworth in another room and Cheadle and in a different room. So I don't know. I, I don't know that they did that that way. Just trying to imagine what that fucking what that feeling is like for let's say for Chris Evans, like he knows that the hammer moment is coming. I wonder if yeah. he fucking cheers. I wonder if he, if he's like I don't give a fuck. I, 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 <laughs> I saw this like a week ago. I saw I, I I knew about this last year when none of you knew about this. So I wonder well, if I'm the sure. match. I'm sure it isn't. Like I'm sure for them to to see it in a in a theater with an audience that responds the way that they do it has to be awesome and i'm sure that's not an experience that they always get either like i i think one of the things that sticks with me from that infinity war premiere was them telling us like that it's not very often they get to sit down and watch a movie with an audience because it's not part of their day right like fucking right. chris evans can't just go hang out at a movie theater he's gonna get mugged so <laughs> it was they they made a point of that, saying how special it was to be able to sit down and watch it with with fans for the first time. Um, and and I think they probably, at least in those situations, it probably was pretty cool for them. 
All right, guys, that does it for us with episode 47. We thank you guys for hanging in there with us, and we hope everyone's staying healthy and staying safe. We will be back uh, with you soon, and hopefully we get a little bit more news to talk about this week or over the weekend. Um, so take care of yourselves, and we'll be back in touch with you soon. All right.